Please pronounce your name correctly. <laughs> okay. Last name, I suppose. Kochi. Richard Kochi. Richard Kochi. So, say that again? Richard would be in Czech. Okay, but you're now you're from so like let's you know start in the beginning because I'm often fascinated by about how do artists sort of get created you know like what kind of uh, home life did they start off in what would, what did their parents do for a living kind of things you know different you know I grew up in a household where my father's a, a, a somewhat of an artist does paintings and yeah. things like this my mother's an interior decorator so it kind of makes sense so like I'm always interested by other people how did what kind of home environment right. that they have that ended up defining the rest of their life. Yeah, I know. Well, I had a completely different, quite the opposite. My family, um, when I look back, most of my, my father was an engineer, uh, my mother actually as well, but uh, most of my uh, memories go back to the side of my mother, the family of my mother's, because I had much more contact i lived with them we all shared a big house so and they were lawyers <laughs> most of them so i was a bit of a, 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 a oddball i guess but it, it wasn't the case that they would actually ever uh, say uh, obviously i had a tendency i would always draw as a kid i would love to draw but then i was so small that there was Besides, there's another aspect that one has to take uh, into consideration. Uh, we're talking uh, Czechoslovakia uh, during the communist era. And so it was, my problem was not what I would like to study, but what they would allow me to study. If you don't mind, how old are you? I'm 65. 65. So I was so born in 1954. Okay. So, so we're, that's... Yeah deep communism yeah all right. in fact it's a few years after yeah just getting a little bit of context for sort of like when you were talking about right so my family was uh, somewhat persecuted at the time so uh, i was a perfect candidate for not being able to study as a matter of fact they would not have allowed me to 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 study no matter what my uh, academic results would be as a matter of fact i was at straight a's back then so but they would not have allowed me to study study art or study, study uh university at okay. university, university. they would not let you there was a uh, something that they called uh, you know it just kind of depends on what kind of family you what kind of family background and of course at that time the desirable background was the uh, worker the, the, the was it the blue color is that the, that the idea sure so uh, if you didn't qualify then you just didn't uh, didn't uh, study it's as simple as that wow it's a, it's a different time now i mean that that, that kind of mentality of the government sort of defining what you can and cannot study is I, I hope has has left oh yeah this is this has changed completely and i think for most people it's inconceivable only those people who actually experienced it who lived in that uh, time can relate to this i know that the young people they are the young kids i mean 15 20 they know 
that this went on, but they have no way of relating to it. They cannot really imagine it. Just the same as the fact that we could not freely travel anywhere. You know, just consider the reality that... Uh, you could not visit any other country. There were just few countries like Poland or some other communist country that you could go to. Right. But even then, you had to have all kinds of permissions. And one of the permissions was from your colleagues at work. So, you know, there was a communist regime was a very weird thing. And uh, there were a lot of subtle pressures uh, it was not only that they would confiscate your your uh, everything or they would uh, put you in jail but they would uh, you know exert these little pressures to make your life uh, a little more miserable uh you know i come from a capitalist american background and when this is all completely foreign to me yeah. you know the first interactions i've had with that was talking with my my wife's father who who they were raised in in that era as well yeah, and and it, it is utterly foreign to me yeah. absolutely and yeah. the, I, you know i can see it in movies read it in books whatever but it, I, living it i would imagine would be a completely otherworldly kind of an experience than than what i was raised with so you were talking about your childhood and then uh, starting off in the Czech Republic and then you made a move. Right. Uh, yes. I, I was, like I said, I, I was born in, in Prague, but uh, I think my mother, since due to all these repressions and, 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 and things that we just talked about, she planned on leaving but it wasn't so easy because she didn't know that 1968 was coming had she known obviously she would have waited because in 1968 uh, the the gates opened and uh, people could leave uh, freely and take all their stuff with them that they needed because this was another thing those people who uh, ran away basically during the communism they could not take anything that would raise suspicions so when, when did you leave 67 a 67. year before oh, wow so right. it was just it was just before right it was exactly just before and we spent a year in a refugee camp in germany because back then that was the way to go is the only way to go whereas in 68 since there were so many people that were that, that escaped they had to change the rules and regulations and people would spend uh, sometimes weeks sometimes few months and not even in the refugee camps uh, so it was a whole different thing but anyhow so we left in 67 my mother and my sister and myself uh, because uh, father let's say had to stay behind because otherwise they would not let us uh, visit in this in this case we went to england i believe i'm not sure how she got the uh, permission because I was 13 at the time so I, I didn't plan anything I just went along for the ride as all 13 year olds obviously do. Yeah. I knew that I would not come back because she actually told us which was kind of weird but uh, as a kid you see everything completely different uh, well you just don't have any experience so so anyhow I lived here until my, until I, I, was, I just turned 13. And so we left, I spent a year in Germany. And after that, uh, we ended up in the States. Okay, and where did you, you were in Texas? Yeah, actually she wanted to go to Canada. I remember that, uh, but they wouldn't uh, let her in. 
because uh, she was a, a single woman with two kids, so they didn't want a social case on their hands. So she, we ended up in the States, and she chose the South. This was 1968, and uh, she chose the South because she heard, and I think she was right, that there were more opportunities uh, than, let's say, I don't know, East Coast or... So we ended up in Houston, and Houston back in the 60s was a very... Well, let's put it this way. For someone who was used to uh, living or being brought up in Prague, <laughs> Houston was uh, just outer space. I mean, it was just total change yeah i didn't speak the language the world just opened up into all the music it started opening up later on but at the beginning i was just taking in the the difference uh, the difference uh, all the differences and they were huge uh, in every aspect you can imagine so that was um, an interesting period because obviously i was 14 then after having spent a year in germany and that's a delicate age i was gonna say yeah that's like teenager angst like i could imagine drugs or drinking or some sort of weird you know some sort of you know off the thing all of that came a little bit later but i think at that time uh, and i see it with uh, 13 year olds these days you're basically trying to define your identity who you are what you're gonna be what you're gonna do or yeah people around you and so in my case, I had to put that um, on the on the back burner because first I had to uh, get used to my new environment because right. it was uh, it was so in a way that might have been good, might have been positive because I didn't have time to uh, think about myself too much. I had to deal with other things. So I don't think I had the classic puberty, you right. know, yeah. like you say, rejection of this rejection. I didn't have anything to reject. Fighting On against the contrary, the man. I had to accept. Yeah. And and so then your education continued there. And so did you end up going to an art school where were yeah. you properly sort of educated in the arts? I went. I, I shouldn't call it properly. Yeah, educated. yeah, I understand you, exactly. Were you formally what, educated yeah, right, in I the understand. arts? I I actually though I didn't want to be an artist. That was not exactly on my. Uh, I did like to. I like to draw. I like to. I didn't paint. I just drew and I modeled. I remember I, I as a kid, I would love to model. I play with that. But I never wanted to be an artist. Artist to me was. I imagined from obviously my limited way of. To me, artists were the kind of people that were incapable of adjusting to a normal activity in life. That's what I considered an artist to be. You know. <laughs> yeah let's put it this way i know and i knew that there were these geniuses and maybe i gave them a bit of a leeway but the the the, the rest the bulk were probably i would be part of that's the way i saw it now of course uh, uh, later on i've i came to find out that it's not exactly like that but uh, uh, so i did i i uh, the, the reason that i eventually ended up studying art i think was that uh, the guidance that uh, my mother should have provided and i can once again uh, look at that in retrospect now sure. at the time i didn't know but so everything is 
everything I say these days is a product of all these years of experience. At the time, obviously, I had a different uh, take on things. My mother was not the kind of parent that you would imagine a mother to be. She was very independent and she gave us, her kids, 100% independence. Not 99%, 100%. Wow. Which was odd. So much so that she by the time i was 16 and i had a driver's license she would she went and lived in another state so there was no one there to tell me what to do and how to do it now this at the time seemed quite lovely to me but of course as a 16 year old i would love my parents to have left the state right but later on you realize that that is not a constructive uh, sorry mom and dad Yeah, because, uh, you know, uh, you do have a natural tendency to blow things off because uh, that's the way it is. Uh, as a teenager, you just do. And that was, that was my case. I started having worse grades. I had pretty good grades up until then. I uh, didn't go to school too much because I would just uh, write my own now, absence. Your sister, though, she older or younger? She was, yeah, she was older, so she already lived with a boyfriend. And so, yeah. So, so really, you were own. on your own, literally. I was on my own. Like paying your own rent, doing As of thing. 18, because my mother, uh, she actually became ill later on. She died, so she died very young. She mm. was 40 years old, so. Yeah, so I started paying my, and before that, she went bankrupt. So it's kind of a, uh, so yeah, as of 18, I, I was on my own, and I still, I was finishing senior high school at the time because I had that year, I lost a year in, in Germany. By then, I decided that I would be an artist, that I would follow. But I think it was, looking back now, of course, I don't know for sure, but I think it was a partially product of circumstances that I kind of considered, you know, because what I should mention, uh, uh, by then, I was modeling little sculptures and I was selling those sculptures. Actually, that's what gave me money. That's how I made my money while I was finishing high school. Okay. I I would make these sculptures. What were these sculptures? What figures? Yeah, like, yeah, like, figures. You know what it was? It was kind of like Norman Rockwell in sculptures. I would make these kind of little things out of daily <laughs> daily life scenes. It was kind of cute, kind of tender, kind of, and people liked it. I would go to these. Uh, they called it art fairs back then, but what basically you rented a table. Oh, yeah. With a whole bunch of other people around you. And I remember going to these as a yeah, kid. They were great. Yeah. yeah, they had food and they had everything. And so I would uh, put my little things there and I would sell. And that, that's how I... Then I taught some class of modeling. But anyhow, so I already started getting into this um, art. Uh, and so it was, I guess, kind of a natural uh, to continue studying it. So when I did finish high school... Instead of architecture, which is what I thought I would kind of do, I always felt some kind of affinity with architecture. I can I, see that with your with your yeah, sculptures, though. Yeah, there's, think, there's an architectural element to the, the construction of them. Yeah, I think there is, absolutely. I think so, too. But uh, I went and I studied. Uh, I took a year off because I really didn't know what I was going to do. And then I went uh, to, uh, what is it called, North Texas State, I think, uh, near... It was in Denton, near Dallas. It was a good school, good university as far as art and music. And so I went there, but obviously I had to support myself. 
So I would, uh, I had a hard time finding a job because there was a small town and 30,000 kids going to school. So that's a pretty big university. Though. It was a big university and it was very hard to find a job because everybody wanted, a lot of people wanted to And this is work. pre the time when like student loans were popular and all that, and starting in the 80s and 90s and now yeah, everybody this does. Is, uh, this is uh, in the 70s, early, early 70s, what now, mid 70s, something like that. But uh, so I, uh, I did find a job. I guess I was pretty lucky. But of course, uh, I started out washing dishes in a restaurant. You know, then I worked my way up to I was a cook, which is funny because I can't fix it. Can't boil an egg. I, huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm totally useless. But anyway, I did that for for a year. And, and I decided that uh, that was uh, not not necessary. If I wanted to be an artist, I felt that I could uh, learn by myself were you looking at other artists at the time like so did you have some inspirational like for me i can think of uh like some exhibitions i saw when i was in like elementary school that that sort of i'm not gonna say like directly influenced like i work like it but that that influenced me in a way that i'm like wow like i was somehow inspired by yeah i i, th I think uh, as you mentioned before you had the uh possibility or, or your parents sort of opened some doors and so i didn't have that so when you mentioned this i don't think i had any references except the classical 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 figures that let's say my family would every once in a while mention but uh, i was a virgin in a way i hated picasso i hated everything because i didn't understand any of that it's so, fascinating people either love picasso or hate picasso like there's no middle ground but I, I i today obviously i have a completely different uh picture but at the time i was like i said i didn't have any i didn't have a clue well I see i also clue. had the dumb luck of growing up in washington dc so i had the entire smithsonian institution yeah. free i could just wander through it i mean this is what we did for thing for fun on weekends was just wander through the smithsonian so i mean part of mine was my family but part of mine was also like i did have great opportunity uh to to simply engage with you know history and science and you know the air and space museum and the, and the, the portrait galleries and all these kinds of great things that i i did i did not take it probably take advantage of and probably was uh, not very good with uh, fully embracing as much as i should have but obviously some of it stayed there it's, some of it some did of it sank Absolutely. In and you, you did so that's that's what it is that's what uh, i think that's what parents and that's their main role to introduce kids to all sorts of things and then later on they'll choose what they want to do but first they have to be introduced they have to have that contact if they don't have any so i didn't have that and as a matter of fact for me the interesting uh, phase of my uh, development let's say came later on when I went to Spain because uh, shortly afterwards I, de I decided to leave the States and, and go back to Europe and I ended up in Spain and I met a man I was what I was 22 at that time and this guy was not much older but he he was a walking encyclopedia he was a very unusual character uh, he spoke several languages excellently because i didn't speak spanish at the time so we spoke english we spoke english too and he had a total command of modern art classical art music from jazz to opera uh, 
literature. And so this man befriended me or we, he, he, I, I thought he was kind of weird, but he insisted. So we became friends and he really opened up. He was like a tutor. He opened up a whole new dimension to me as far as art, literature, not music so much. I didn't really get into music, but literature and art I owe to. And obviously uh, I learned a whole lot and all of my attitude, my everything changed. Who are your musical influences? I mean, like, you know, I've got my, from my generation and my era, you know, but uh, I'm always interested, like who, what, what kind of music's Well, you know, when I was, got a, when I was living in the States, obviously that area, uh, that era of, uh, the pop music it was the classical Pink Floyd, Led Zeppelin, all these people. Those are the mid seventies. Stones or Beatles? I actually like both. I didn't. I didn't have a problem. I like both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But Going back. Uh, this Spain. this Spain this is when it all changed radically because I started understanding modern art. Up until then, I really didn't understand. And I was looking at something and I had no, I didn't know how to relate to it. And this change, this metamorphosis, it, it was quick, it was fast. And for me, uh, it was a renaissance because I found a whole new world. So uh, this is when I started, uh, of course, I was already uh, concentrating on sculpture. But this is when I uh, started uh, opening in my 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 inner world and and reaching the inner world and trying to work more from the inside, although it was still a period of formation. So I guess there was a lot of influences from everywhere. It was interesting. And so, okay, so now you're in Spain and you're mid twenties, and what are you doing to sort of? Uh, get by like i mean you know one of my big questions about this through this entire podcast is basically how do creative people make money how do you stay yeah. alive how do you sustain yourselves because yeah. like oftentimes we end up having to do side jobs so right. you're basically like very few of us ever get the opportunity to live directly from our art only okay yeah. how did how did you see yeah. you progress and my and keep my experience i i went when i went to spain I managed to save a little money, but it was really not much. Uh, I was working, you know, as a waiter in a nice restaurant, so I, I saved some money. And uh, Spain at the time, we're talking a year after Franco died, Spain was a very backward country at the time and very cheap. So, where, where in Spain? Madrid. 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 Okay. So you could actually live for, of course, you had to be willing to, to live in those conditions. I would share a room with... Uh, other people and I would uh, basically eat uh, yeah it was uh, it was uh, but I could get by and this lasted for about almost two years because at the time it was impossible to to there were no jobs for foreigners in in Spain it was impossible and actually uh, two years later I had to leave Spain because I totally ran out of money and I went back to the States. This time I went to L.A., where I've never been before. And I once again uh, worked uh, for about a year. I saved some money and I went back to Spain. And uh, right at that time, Spain, this is 1980, 1979, 1980, Spain was becoming, Spain was changing. Spain was uh, going through a, 
uh, growth period, uh, quite strong. People were making more money. People started being much more interested in art. And they had some means to buy original art. They didn't have that much money to buy paintings or sculpture. But uh, graphic work, original graphic work, uh, had a huge, huge uh, growth at that time. And I'm, since I was already doing graphics, uh, so I managed, or I'm, I had the good fortune, whatever, meeting some people who were dealing with uh, graphic work. And so I would start uh, working for them. I would print some of their uh prints for other people I okay, would, so, you, uh, so you worked as a, a printer for I other worked, artists as exactly well. I, I I I bought a printing press and I would I made a functioning uh, shop where I would print for other people but I would also do my own work uh-huh. and I would sell to these people my own work so this uh, meant and this kind of uh, bloomed and this meant that my my uh, standard of living grew every year it got better and better and better of course there was a price to pay and that was uh, time i had to uh, uh, give it uh, time and the creative energy so you had to divide your creative energy which i thought would not be a problem but that is not necessarily true it can be a problem yeah i mean this is the balance that we all deal with it's the Time, money, energy, creativity—like the exactly. how, how much do you devote to what, and what takes away from what? But as you say, when it's a question of surviving, there's really no other choice. Either you, either you have someone who will support you, or you have to make a living some somehow. And for me, at the time, it seemed much better choice than working in a shoe shop or whatever hmm. which i'm not sure even if yeah i probably could have gotten a job by then but uh so this was uh, this was nice uh and uh i do however remember that it became over it absorbed me too much so about six years later i decided to leave madrid and go out in the country isolation to try to uh, reinitiate or, or find my true identity as an artist. Sure. I was still young at the time. So that would and, be uh, 2029 ish. 20, exactly. 20? Exactly. And I uh, I looked for months <laughs> for an adequate space, even as far as 100 kilometers outside of Madrid. And finally, I found a, a place which was not that far. It was about 35 kilometers out in the middle of nowhere, as far as I thought. But it turned out that this was a preferred area for the uh, weekend people to, to go. And so my isolation turned into probably my, uh, my most uh, outgoing period in my life. Oh, interesting. Okay. It, it, that, that was amazing. Well, and that's sort of one of those things like a lot of creative people like like in my move here to Prague, I had this idea in my mind of what moving to Prague would mean, how I would choose to be, how I would define my life. And it is completely not what I wanted <laughs> yeah. and not, well, not, not, not what I wanted, but not what I expected, not what I planned, but yet I'm really kind of enjoying it in its own way. So like, 
a lot of times like the best laid plans don't always work out the way you want them to, but sometimes they end up actually being the best thing for you. I find that in my life, circumstance uh, or the circumstances uh, have played a major role. In other words, something that I did not choose, but it just kind of was chosen for me. Now, I understand that this can sound like an excuse. And I remember when I was younger, I would fight this because I strongly believe that everyone is responsible for themselves. But uh, although I still believe everyone is responsible for what they do and what they don't do, but there are elements that, and in my life, even from the very beginning, just leaving this country, it all kind of started this uh, this process where things were not imposed, but where things happened. This was a, yeah, this was a constant repetition in my life, so I've kind of gotten used to it. But in this case, uh, the problem was that I went there really to reflect, you know, to interiorize, or what, what would you call it, to, to look into in, inside and all of a sudden I found so much, so many distractions because there was just so, so much of it and it was very, <laughs> very attractive that I had to uh, slow down because uh, it would have defeated the purpose that I, that I went there. But as a matter of fact, I did manage. I started working. I went back to sculpture. But that was not exactly uh, feasible. So I started, uh, so I thought, okay, I will reduce it to reliefs, wooden reliefs. And that ended up, that's, that's the weird process, that ended up uh, with a um, plywood desk, or what do you call this, plywood? Sh- the sheets of plywood yeah. that you then carve into. And I would into. carve into, yeah. exactly. So it went the other way. I would carve into this. And that, by the way, is how I started painting. And that turned into painting. For about a year, I would paint on plywood, no longer the thick ones, the thinner ones. And this was the beginning of my... So my exit, let's say, or my uh, going away to the country to find myself actually solved the problem. And I did. The only thing is that instead of sculpture, I became a painter. <laughs> and I painted for the next 13 years quite intensively. So it was, it was interesting painting like traditional painting like on canvas or painting on wood in a relief way like was there even a dimensionality to it or was it just traditional painting at the beginning since I was finding my because I never painted before so this was all new to me and so I would work with the surface a great deal into the surface later on since the wood became a bit of a problem because it was heavy and and so I wanted to paint on canvas so I found out since I had a lot of experience with the etchings and with all sorts of different materials synthetic materials that I would experiment with I applied some of that to the painting and so I would create the surface instead of inside outside Mm -hmm. and uh, I would paint on top of this synthetic paste that uh, gave me great results because I would sand it, I would work it. I, I, I really needed the, uh, the surface as the main protagonist. What would be on top of that was almost secondary. But at the time, I would paint as very loose, almost abstract still lifes that were based on, I think, geometric form that had something to do with my being a sculptor 
but there was the use of color and i do remember these were very flat paintings mm. no perspective intentionally mm -hmm. the background and the richness of the l superimposing the different layers was kind of uh, what i was looking for and these paintings worked beautifully it took me about a year six months to a year to to be satisfied with the paintings and so as of 1987 or something like that i think the paintings had some now how are, and how were you selling them i mean you were living outside of madrid 35 kilometers outside of madrid did you have a gallery that was selling these for you did you already have some relations through your graphic arts right. work right i never lost contact living 30 some kilometers madrid is uh, less than an hour away half an hour away so i would uh, maintain contacts i don't remember if i don't know if i had a gallery be at the time but the paintings were actually so attractive that they all sold uh, just through even my friends and people that would see it they would uh, and they were big i was painting large i always liked the large format so i remember that that was another new twist or new beginning in my because all of a sudden i would i was making much more money because i was still doing the etchings and on top of that i would be selling paintings i actually started i sold all of those paintings all of those paintings back then for i think that was maybe five years that i painted it got more complicated as it as it evolved and i eventually it turned into abstraction and so uh and ended up in minimalism that was a dead end both for me and for sales <laughs> really so, yeah. so that was that you were off on your timing or whatever like it just didn't didn't pan out you so you ended up going in a direction that just didn't exactly work. that's what happened to me yeah so i had uh, i had i in the beginning and during years i really had a lot of success with those paintings uh, until i start uh, i started painting yeah they became uh, they became difficult they became uh, yeah, it was a type of minimalist. Uh, uh, people didn't care for that that much. This is part of the idea of the podcast is hearing about things that didn't work. Uh, you know, like you work in a particular genre and you, you get known for it and people collect it and they purchase it. And then eventually as an artist, we evolve. We started working in, you know, either you get more intricate and elaborate or maybe you get more minimalist or you get more abstract. And sometimes with some artists and some artwork you, you sort of get to a tipping point where it, it suddenly people don't like it or it's not on trend or people aren't willing to pay the price for it or whatever or things change in the in the art world and you're either ahead of the time of the curve or you're behind the curve but you don't know why and and so you have to sort of again be a little introspective and figure out what did you what do you have to do next to maybe get back on track so like what did you do how did you get it back well i uh, am and always was a firm believer in evolution i uh, did not care to continue working in the same fashion simply because it would uh, satisfy the market i had some need to 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 move on and uh, there is a an important element uh, to to take into consideration and that that is that uh, around the early 90s uh, the communist regime in the Czechoslovakia fell because we're moving in my 
career as we're talking about it, we're moving into the 90s. And so obviously having or living in Spain, which was not that far, I would uh, very keenly uh, observe what was going on here. As a matter of fact, I started uh, coming to Prague on regular basis, which before was impossible. You still had family here. I still had relatives, that's right. And so I started almost, or within a few years, I almost lived in two places at the same time. My main base was in Spain because I had been there for years by then. And uh, all my life, all my friends, all my activities were... Prague was an interesting place at the time because it was obvious that it was going through a total transformation. And I was trying to find my roots. I'm not really someone who would uh, give roots too much of, a, of an importance because I had by then relocated at least two times, if I don't consider it Germany, I never tended to stay there, but both the States and Spain, I felt perfectly integrated. I felt like I was a part of that culture, never felt that I had any. So I didn't have the need to, you know, look for some. Did you, were, were you, did you start having a family or anything like this by this point? No, no, because no, that probably uh, would uh, tie in with, uh, you mentioned before, what artists do to survive. I was acutely aware that if I had a family, that would jeopardize my freedom to, let's say, f create with no no pressure. So that I always avoided. I thought it would come one day, but uh, I think I made way too much effort to avoid it. So that never happened. Well, I shouldn't say never because I do have a daughter. I could have sworn. Yeah, I remember a story of you telling me about a daughter. <laughs> so, but that happened later on here in here in Czech Republic because. So I started coming here, and just to 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 tie uh, the two pieces that we mentioned before, where I took the the work from the minimal minimalist, that was uh, mid. Uh, 90s and at that time I started very seriously uh, thinking of going back to sculpture because I was painting by then I was painting for 13 years and I am a sculptor I consider myself a sculptor not a painter so right around the 96 uh, I, I 95 96 I I was maturing the type of work that I wanted to do because in a way 13 15 period actually it was more than that because I, while I was doing etchings, I wasn't doing any sculpture. So there was a long absence from, from three dimension. And uh, I was uh, thinking of what I wanted to do. And in 1997, it all came to, uh, to being. I uh, had a wonderful studio in Prague. I had the means. And I started uh, uh, making these large uh, wooden objects, architectural, just like you yeah. mentioned. And all of a sudden, I felt that my work was 100% mature. 100%. I might have deceived myself, but that's the way I felt. We about all think, it. like, it's really great when we like find that thing, whether it's a concept or a technique or whatever, where we suddenly are like, Oh my gosh, this is yep. the thing that's going to define my career. 
and then like 10 years later you look back at it and you're like yeah it was okay right but in this case uh, i uh, think it was more than okay it actually probably was the 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 first and i started having all kinds of um, uh, feedback and 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 success and i guess my my name got on the map here and that changed uh, also my uh, once again the circumstances so i relocated from spain to prague not 100 percent, but i would switch the main base at the time it was in madrid so now it was prague and i would be going to madrid and i would be going back and forth all the time so i had been years for years i would be going back and forth and people would always when i mentioned to someone that i was living in two places they they always told me that they thought it was wonderful and great but it was not that great because by then i felt uh, that i really didn't belong to either one there was a bit of a schizophrenia there or something i didn't really enjoy it as much as everyone thought it would be yeah this is a common thing that's been coming up with these these conversations i've been having with people is the idea of like building a a personal network of connections uh, and feeling like you're part of a other the creative community and and in doing something like this where you're going between two cities you're sort of half part of one community and half part of the other community but like it, it sounds like from what I've been hearing by, from people is that basically the thing is in order to truly sort of progress your career, you really have to devote yourself to a community and be part of it and grow with it and, and be involved in it. And, and I would imagine going back and forth between two cities would make that very difficult. And uh, I must say that I never felt more as an outsider than, I, than here in Prague. Uh, Me too. I, you know, having left at a relatively early age, uh, people, of course, I spoke Czech and uh, you couldn't notice, but people related to emigrants in a kind of a strange way. But like you just mentioned, I found out, which at the time I really didn't know, just how important these uh, life contacts, you know, people that went to school with you and, and, and how important this really was. And they were not terribly keen to taking anyone in, you know, they would very much mark the boundaries. And uh, so I, at the time though, I didn't mind because I was totally independent, totally. I had the studio that I needed to have, I was producing the work and I had some feedback, so I did not really care. Later on, it uh, became more of an obstacle because some of these uh, walls are really hard to knock down or to, I really didn't, I, I guess I underestimated it a little bit. I thought, well, it'll, it'll solve itself. But yeah. Yeah, I'm finding the same thing when I got here. I mean, I imagined coming to Europe that the they would be uh, receptive to a, a foreign artist coming. That maybe I'd end up being like exotic to them or whatever. And uh, absolutely not. They don't really care that much about outsiders. I mean, it t- just takes time. They're they're just a little trepidatious about like newcomers coming into their their circle and their spheres, which I get it. I understand that. 
because um, there are a lot of foreigners sort of coming into this region and, and, and they don't, a lot of them don't stay for very long. So I understand their, their concerns about including somebody who might end up leaving, you know, too, too easily or too quickly. That is the uh, point of view of the gallerist, uh, but I'm talking also about the artists, yeah, the, the fellow people, artists, yeah. the people, the, their attitude. Yeah. Their attitude was certainly not uh, very helpful. Well, going back to the business part of it, so when you got to Prague, did you get a gallery or, or were you exhibiting? Like, how, how did you get your, you know, I, I do want to get, get back to the people and how, did, how you got part of a community here. But I'm also interested in how did you uh, start to engage in finding collectors and exhibiting and, get, and building a reputation mm -hmm. for your art mm -hmm. in this region yeah. versus Spain? Well, the first thing I did back then, since I didn't know anyone, and obviously no one knew me because I didn't live here, I joined uh, some, uh, it was uh, uh, it was uh, some kind of an artist uh, or group. Uh, yeah, like a guild or something yeah, like that. Something yeah, something like that. And they, so I started meeting some people through this and they had some shows every once in a while. So that was the first contact. But uh, I think uh, what happened was by the time that I started uh, making these new sculptures, which really did have a very solid uh, something to them, the doors started opening because people reacted on the basis of the work. And I did have a show at a Manus gallery way back in 1999 and then another one in 2001. And Manus gallery at the time, it was still the emblematic gallery. Of course, later on, unfortunately, uh, through political, it, 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 which is not all that, that's a few years back. But for, for a long time, uh, this was a very important gallery and a beautiful space. And so that sort of uh, put me on the map because uh, most artists would regularly go visit that space because there was there wasn't that many galleries in 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 Prague at the time now, so the man was it in a solo exhibition or yeah. how did that work out so there it was, was a, a solo, solo exhibition yeah. mm -hmm. uh, they did have a committee sort of back then that chose uh, it was not only a uh, question of price because uh, they did uh, I was used to in Spain there were no commercial galleries in the sense that you would buy uh, or rent the space that didn't exist you and if it did I never uh, I never you would either uh, be a part of the gallery or maybe sometimes they would give you a show even if you were not but you wouldn't pay for having the show whereas all of a sudden here in Czech Republic you would pay for the expenses and and so that kind of devaluated uh, some of the some of the uh, exhibitions in my in my eyes however in this case they also so you would find a sponsor would pay the cost but they did choose and so you had some kind of a guarantee that the uh, level of uh, what they would exhibit let's say would be regular or it wouldn't you know jump from from so manis was at the time my kind of like introduction because no one knew me and uh, that uh, brought in other people i think my problem back then was that i was doing sculpture mainly out of wood 
which meant that it was solely for the interior. Right. So big that it certainly could not be collected by um, individuals. It had to be for public or semi-public spaces. And that turned out to be a bit of a problem, not because of the work in itself, I don't think, but because of the people that would be willing and able or able and willing to deal with it because it was much more complicated sure. for galleries than, I don't know, painting. So that um, became a problem and I think that became a, a major issue. I want to ask one little question, like, so, so small diversions. When you apply, when you, I assume you were like applied for this exhibition at Manus. Exactly. I'm fascinated about people writing their artist statements or their application processes. Like, do you write your own? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I, I don't have much of a problem. Yeah, I do. I'm so bad yeah. at it. Yeah. I, I find it's very difficult to detach myself from mm -hmm. the work. I feel very defensive almost even yeah. I mean, of like come on it's good you kind of like you you want to cheerlead it and and i'm i'm, I'm horrible at i can understand this i can understand this but i must say that at the time that i was doing this new work i really really believed that it was very special uh, modesty aside i really believed in it and i really did and i still consider that uh phase of my work as a, so i didn't have much of a problem let's say selling it or pr uh, promoting it nor talking about it because i had a very clear mm, discourse behind it there was a reason why i was doing that and why i was doing that and how i would relate to it so i could uh, you know i could verbalize all that with not much problem. see i can do it like i could do an artist talk for an hour yeah. i could talk about it yeah. but it's the the construct of being able to do it concisely in very short form, you know, the the the, the clear, concise, written statement that doesn't ramble on and do, you know quote random things and all this kind of stuff like that. That's tough for me. I, I don't know. If, you seem to be very good at it, and that's yeah. I, I don't think I, I, I envy that. I admire that. Like I can't do that. Sometimes when I read the uh, critics' reviews you would almost feel embarrassed, ashamed, because they talk about everything and nothing. And some of these artist statements are the same thing. You know, it's all literature, high-tech literature, uh, philosophy, and it doesn't mean anything. So I kind of don't like that. I don't like that. So, okay, well, so when you write your artist statements, so let's say, you know, for your most recent work even, um, how do you approach writing your artist statement? Uh, a few years back, I came to find out that essence of my work has to be autobiographical. It has to be me. That was the beginning of uh, actually better work in my evolution when I, because we all are full of uh, influences. It's inevitable. And we pick up here, we pick up there. Sometimes you don't even know where you picked it up, but it's there. So I uh, remember making a conscious effort way back to find out what it is that I am, to analyze myself and to analyze. And I realized that one of the things that I am is uh, uh, contradictions. One of the strong aspects, it's probably once again through my history, through my uh, circumstances, but contradictions, duality and all this played a huge importance and i even saw some of the elements elements in my in my paintings and so i started uh, concentrating on this and 
carrying it into my work. So it was not that hard for me to talk about it because I would be explaining the importance of uh, expressing how I see not only art, but an individual within his environment making art. Now, in other words, what is the perception of that individual under or with his life uh, experiences? Because that's what art is. Art is, I am no more than a channel of my experiences, my interpretations of what I see and then giving it some kind of a form. Did you, did you do this all by yourself? Did you have a, a friend to sort of talk with this out? Did you go to a therapist? Like how, to, how did you sort of come to this self? Do, do you journal? Like do you write? For, yeah, I do write. You write. I, okay. I write. No, I didn't go to any. It, it was a process and I think it is. I do, I guess I do reflect. I like to think. I like to analyze maybe too much. Maybe too much. I'm a we, bit, we all do that uh, yeah, sometimes. Yeah. A bit cerebral, I don't know. But um, for some things, it's it's good. Uh, for some things, it may may not be all that all that good. But uh, I like to write. I would. I do have journals, which is not a diary. I just write down ideas, and I don't write down what I did every day or what happened. But just just uh, ideas. And I used to spend. Uh, hours in uh, cafes i would be i loved cafes uh, and with the coffee i don't smoke i haven't been i stopped smoking a long time ago but i still go and i have my coffee and i would write i would read i would think i would reflect because i needed a break from the studio you know i would go to the studio in the morning and then i needed to get out of the studio so i would uh, i would uh, gain energy from people around because the studio you're there all by yourself all day long and so I really did uh, gain energy from just people around me and I would write and think and that that would be a big big part of my creative process okay. so up to this point so now you're in Prague and you're you're, you're doing sculpture now did were you uh sustaining yourself through your art so like your entire income at that point was through sales of art or did you still have to do some additional jobs and side work to to keep okay. going my circumstance uh, as i mentioned in spain uh, i would be selling not only the uh, graphic work but the painting so financially i was actually doing quite well but in the mid 90s I was kind of lucky, let's put it that way, because I uh, came to some money. Let's let's. Uh, so I could. Uh, th that's why I mentioned that I had this, the uh, uh, the the means to do those large. At that time, I could afford to have a very nice studio, and I could pay for the sculptures. I did it all myself, all the work. I did have a, a an assistant for about two or three years, which was also essential because at the time like i said i started doing work that i never did before and technically had i not had this guy who was quite uh, quite uh, able i don't know if i would have been if i would have been able to carry it out because i wouldn't know how to do it because i had the idea but uh, so i learned a lot uh, through him but i had the means let's put it this way for years i could freely i could just do what i wanted I mean, I had some limitations. I couldn't cast everything in bronze, etc., etc. But I could just go on, and it was uh, wonderful. It lasted for a long time, and it was great. <laughs> 
<laughs> so we were talking a little bit about the idea of like how to get yourself, how to be your own public relations, how to get yourself out into the art world, how to participate in it, how to present yourself to the public, how to present yourself to galleries. Like, it's hard, like we were talking about, is that when I go, I, I can sell the shit out of somebody else's artwork, no problem, because I'm, I'm detached from it. It's not me. But when I walk into an art gallery and I'm trying to sell myself, it's it's very emotional. It's very it creates anxiety and 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 very uh, extremely self conscious process mm -hmm. to to basically go with hands out, heart heart on your sleeve, going, "Hey, pretty please, will you like my stuff?" That's a, that's a difficult thing for every artist to do, I imagine. Well, I think it's I think it's difficult for many artists. I also know that there are artists who have absolutely no problem with selling themselves. I myself always envied them this uh, ability because I do not belong in that category and I never have. Uh, interestingly enough, in my experience, uh, having reached uh, maturity, let's say, and uh, certain inherent quality in that work, did not necessarily change uh, my way of approaching this. It still is the same. So I don't know how, why that. But I do uh, think this is one of the most important elements in any uh, artist's career. It's the way they are able to promote their work because one has to keep in mind that no one a priori knows that they exist and it is their responsibility to make their name become part of the existence out there and in my case when i was younger of course i am uh, from a different generation and back then the way it worked was a young artist started uh, to participate in group shows and his hope was that from the group shows a good gallery would choose him and then they would start supporting his art and therefore creating his career. That was really the only way. There were no agents or there were so few agents that they were not available. You really had to go through the gallery system. But that had uh, certain rules and regulations such as, for example, that you usually started as a young artist. It was very difficult for an older artist that had no background to all of a sudden appear and uh, be able to convince a gallery to take him on because unfortunately, even back then, uh, the quality of the work is a relative element. In other words, what I'm trying to say I know that every artist thinks that he's the next best thing to, to Jesus Christ or whatever, but there are such a thing as uh, mediocrity, great and, and worse, and uh, sometimes it's very difficult to, to, let's say, distinguish, determine. But yes, worse things can have much more success than, let's say, good things. Now, this happened in the past, happens now, and will happen forever. So whose responsibility is to... Now, an artist obviously thinks, oh, this is unjust, and why am I the... Uh, but it is up to him, really, to do something about it. And if he has the natural ability 
to stand up for, for what he believes, I think he's got 90% of the battle won. If not, and I am, once again, I unfortunately am not one of those, then you are just going to have a very long road, tumultuous road that you really don't know how it's going to turn out because I'm absolutely convinced that these days promotion of work is essential. It's much more important than actually the work in itself, which is terrible, but it's the way it is. I was going to say that's a very sad state yeah. of affairs that exactly. you just said. Exactly. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, it's always been a part of it that you have to promote your work in some way. I mean, we had the old uh, sort of thought, the old thought, uh, exercise of like if you make the most amazing piece of art in the world but you never show it to anybody did it exist and does it matter you know so like you have to show it to somebody you, you have to get it out into the world and so whether you know we chose the creative industries because we didn't want to deal with business generally like most people that i know in the creative industries have said oh i don't want to be part of xyz industries but in the end be even being creative we become part of those industries either because there are collectors or because we simply just have to engage in it but we have to find a balancing act like we do have to do a certain amount like i've heard uh, uh, some other people wrote like the artist in this day and age basically should do like three days in the in the studio three days promoting every week like well that's six days a week that's much but three days in the studio two days promoting every week um, just to keep up yeah but what is that promoting an artist an artist of certain age let's say cannot take his portfolio under his arm and go visit a gallery at least not in europe maybe in the states they're more open to this uh format but not in europe so uh it's not possible and once again it makes no difference whether the work maybe now this is true because obviously i'm speaking in general there are always well and you're speaking from your own personal and, and experiences so. but i don't exactly know what it would have to be yes i can imagine that that would happen that someone would just stun the gallerist uh, i really cannot imagine in this age of eclecticism and postmodernism where everything is uh, art and i really don't know what this would be but uh, i think an artist uh, has to number one reach that level where that work of his is interesting interesting there has to be something to offer and then like you say if he doesn't get it out there then no one's gonna know it exists the fear of rejection which is something that i uh, think about a lot is uh, i know that if i don't even try i have the no from the very beginning yeah yeah my, my parents used to say if you don't ask the question the answer is always no this is so true, but it's very hard to overcome because if you don't get rejected, you can always console yourself that, uh, well, that you didn't get rejected. Whereas if you go out there, put your put yourself out there, and they say no, well, then then it's <laughs> then you're you're rejected. I think I don't. Know, I think it is a, deep down. It must be some kind of a form of uh, of ego or, or fear of rejection. Oh, absolutely. I I completely have fear of rejection. I will fully admit that. I mean, there's, 
the the nature of the arts world is you know 90 if you're lucky only 90 percent of your attempts at whatever mm. are rejected you, you it, mm. but it's and we have to learn over time that the you have to put aside all the rejections because you're going to be rejected a lot throughout your career and you have to try to find a way within yourself to truly appreciate and 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 even like if we're going to say it as a business thing leverage the successes to continue to create success because if you fixate too much on the the rejections it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah, and besides, I've always believed that this this statement, you know, you cannot uh, please everyone all the time. So there's always going to be someone who's just not going to agree, and uh, that cannot intimidate you so much that you don't even state your opinion. Yeah, that's the way it is. And but uh, art is such an intimate, or one's own art is such an intimate uh, expression of his being that yes, it's uh, hard to be hard to be rejected. But like I say, it's not even a question of doubting your own work. You don't doubt your work. And I think another frustrating element uh, must be that we, you know, they say. I remember way back, people would start saying that art should not be compared, judged. It it should be. Uh, but it's not true. We judge everything we do, everything since we're born, practically since we have the use of, we judge, we're brought, brought up that way and we compare and this is better, that is worse. And the criteria to determine what's good and what's bad are very relative these days. It's not black and white. And so, yes, it can be very frustrating for someone who considers his own work of, uh, uh, let's say, pretty high level and not getting any recognition for it. And then he sees everywhere around him that, let's say, work that is a lot less. And so why does this happen? Well, you know, life is not uh, uh, just. There's no justice. We always look for justice. And we but that's that's. No, it was never meant to be that way. And so once again, we're back to, to, to what we just said. It's up to you or me as an artist to try to get that place that I think I deserve. And if I don't deserve it and I'm competent, able, well, maybe I can even get more. I mean, it's like that with everything else. What are your aspirations? Like, So let's say money's no object time space whatever's no object kind of thing what is the one thing that you you feel could or would be the like the pinnacle of your career if you if you can accomplish this thing mm-hmm. you know you've mm-hmm. succeeded okay well i would have to begin though once again this is a process when i was younger and uh, i had limited uh, knowledge of everything I considered fame and fortune as an artist as the, uh, but I had no idea what that meant. Later on, when I started, uh, when I when I learned more about art, I realized that there were certain artists who discovered new, let's say, new forms of art. New. So I think as a very young artist, you might think eventually you will discover something. Of course, that is extremely difficult if not impossible i certainly do not think that i discover anything new for me 
the important thing was to be discovering new things for myself, for me. Because if I consider this as an evolution, as a linear process that starts at a point A and goes on, then I am quite aware that I may discover something that I didn't know, but a whole lot of other people have already been there. So it would be silly to think that I will open some doors for, for everyone. But yes, at the end of this process, my goal would be, and always uh, always was, I would like to create work that uh, real, that other people can relate to and they can find not only an immediate answer, but more they look at it, more, uh, let's say, lectures or more, more uh, meaning or more communication they would get out of it. It has to be a long-term communication and not just something that uh, is a one-time one, one affair. And uh, that work should, yes, I think as an artist, you need to have uh, some kind of uh, acceptance on the part of the uh, people who, who are uh, part of the art market. That's the galleries, the museums, the collectors. If this uh, symbiosis doesn't happen, then I think an artist can never uh, feel satisfaction. You will feel uh, every time you have a limited success, maybe someone buys something, maybe someone just says, hey, this is great, I love it. It makes you feel good, it gives you energy to go on. But as an artist who spends all his life trying to uh, reach, you need to have... Uh, and I think the museum shows are a part of that uh, satisfaction because you get a whole different audience. And... Um, I guess uh, another essential part would be to be able to live off of what you do. You have to generate enough income to be able to continue doing it. Fame as such uh, is nice, I'm sure. I mean, I am not uh, someone who can really uh, judge from experience. I think it would be nice because we all have an ego. I have an ego. Absolutely. Uh, I try to work with it uh, so that it doesn't yeah, keep it under reins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but but yeah. I, so uh, I guess almost I would say at my age, where does my uh, head, my uh, analytical, allow me to 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 you know to go? Because I have a tendency to uh, to uh, subdue my ambitions, or let's say keep it under control and uh, I think uh, that may not be the way to go I think it's uh, as a matter of fact I think it's desirable to just uh, open the the gates and let your dreams ambitions and everything else uh, ran go wild or whatever I don't think it's good to to try to be uh, humble and, and 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 all these things that I used to value so much do you feel like sometimes artists are self-sabotaging themselves in some way? Like under either either they're over they're overly ambitious, like that they want something so big that they that they lack the ability to do the step-by-step -step process, the climbing of the ladder to get to it, or or the 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 anxiety and the the self-consciousness sort of getting in the way of your own success mm -hmm. in many ways. 
you know, in a way, I'm, I'm sure this happens, but in a way, uh, let's say uh, in nature, uh, the the toughest and the strongest survive. That's the way it is. That's uh, basically the, the, the evolution. So if an artist is too weak, too meek or too, then he probably doesn't deserve. Now, if you have a personality, however, that uh, cannot go that way, well, that's too bad. And in your case, it's devastating because you only have one life to live. But looking at it from a more broader uh, point of view, nothing happens because, you know, the world is not going to be poor because of that. It's just your problem. So, yes, absolutely. This is a this is the case. I have a friend because we can extrapolate this to other things. I have a friend. And I remember when we were younger, we all had this uh, beautiful girl. I would love to meet her. I would love to. And I cannot bring myself to say, hi, I'm this. This uh, because she's whatever. This friend of mine, uh, I remember he approached a girl that he had practically no possibilities of success. Yeah. She said no, but he kept on. Finally, to make a long story short, they married. They had a... And they've been together for the past 35 years against all odds. And he went after it. And it's the same thing uh, with art. You have to. And if you don't, just like we didn't, I didn't talk to that girl that I always thought she would be. Well, I missed out. No big deal. For me, it's a, it's a loss, but it's nothing happened. Yeah. Okay. So let's go back to some earlier conversations about like sort of the business. So where, where are you? No, no. I mean, this stuff's great, but like, where are you now in your professional career? Are mm -hmm. you, um, do you have galleries now? And, and one of the big questions I also have too, that seems to be coming up again and again here is a lot of people have, uh, galleries or, or collectors or exhibitions in the Czech Republic, but they don't seem to get outside the Czech mm -hmm. Republic a lot. So I'm interested, are you actively engaging outside the Czech mm -hmm. Republic? I was because I was always partially here and partially there. So for a long time, I was working with a gallery in Spain and I was working with a gallery in, uh, in the States. In fact, I still have the gallery in the States. But quite honestly, I found out that uh, if you're not physically present, that I never really thought this would be a huge problem because I thought once again the work would speak for itself but we yes, all want that yeah, we yeah. all want to be able to just make yeah, work yeah. put it out in public and people appreciate yeah. it but there's so much more yes. in the 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 business of the arts right. the, the, the the practice of being an artist that you have to be there you have to but, but once again be present uh, once again I think this is a uh, domain the very famous artists don't have to be there of course uh, if the uh, if the collector has the possibility to talk to him and meet him they'll be thrilled but it's not essential they will buy his work anyway however uh, the lesser known artists I think that the potential collectors really thrive on uh, uh, having some kind of a personal uh, relationship with the artist. So the gallery needs this support from the artist. And so if you don't live in that place, because obviously one would think, well, when I go there and I spend there two weeks, well, we can, but it doesn't work that way because those people don't have time or when it has to be at on their terms, when they have time and, and things 
come up a party or this or that and if you're not there you just cannot take advantage of these things so this is a, a much bigger hindrance much bigger problem than i uh, than i thought it would be so um i at least i that's my my experience and i feel this uh, and here in czech republic up until uh, it hasn't been all that long that we've had a commercial uh, i mean private commercial galleries not state state owned or or museums and uh, now we do and i even think that the art market is actually quite healthy here certainly there's a huge market for the classic art as a matter of fact uh, it's it's huge because that's purely investment mm -hmm. well not purely i guess those people like it but it's 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 mainly but even uh, the younger generation uh, but i think i suspect that um, the channels are very hermetic very closed it's not uh, very easy for an artist to appear and to uh, be accepted by these uh, let's say by these uh, circles of uh, but it it certainly exists yeah. it's a very individual you know it's very individual now it's it's very hard to tell someone what you have to do to yeah it's it's practically impossible well, i mean because there, there's a balancing act on that like i can think back to people that i remember when i used to go out to a lot of art openings and a lot of events there were people that i would see everywhere and if it's one of those things like it sounds stupid but like if you're at too many art events that's bad if you're at too few art events that's also bad and there's a, a magical amount of sort of almost personal exposure to the to the buying public the the curators the the gallery owners whatever that is the right amount like too little they forget about you basically because out of sight out of mind and too much and they kind of almost get annoyed by you because you're just everywhere and it's it, there's that magical amount that uh, it's an intangible and i don't know what it is but it's fascinating that like there's there's a huge amount of personal connections personal relationships and personalities that can b both benefit your career but also hurt your career yeah i I, th i think you're probably right i always thought once again because this is something that i've always considered and i still do that the final and element the, the thing that determines everything should be the work and that is what should be judged so if I go to an opening every night and I talk to 100 people and then I show them something that they have absolutely no interest in, then it's not going to advance my career in any way. And this is the problem, once again, back to what I said before, that the uh, evaluation of what is interesting, what is good, <laughs> that's everybody has a different point of view so well, what, and with social media there's exponentially more people that now have an opinion on it and give it freely without any sort of expertise like i mean social media has made it so that critics to a certain extent almost are not too relevant in this day and age because basically huh. everybody feels the ability and the freedom to give their okay, opinion. Okay, but so we can leave it at that. We can leave it at the fact that there is a whole bunch of uh, gray area, but that there, there also is art that is beyond any doubt really good. Why does this art, why is this not recognized immediately or, or eventually? 
because it's not, not necessarily. I know. It pains me. I mean, I know many, many artists who are spectacular artists. Like they are phenomenal, whether it's their craftsmanship or their concepts or a balance of the two, whatever. And they never get that recognition or it takes a long time. They don't get it until later in their life or they got it early in their life and they lost it as it went on. Like, I mean, so that means that one should also accept the fact that art, part of art is business. A huge part of art is business. Artist, when he starts creating, he, he wants to be pure. He wants to do the things because he feels it and he needs. But sooner or later, one has to come to terms with the financial, with the business aspect of art. And I suspect that those people who do know how to handle that are the ones that are probably more successful than the other ones. I mean, we, I always, whenever that conversation comes up, I always go back to Damien Hurst. I mean, well, he he's came, a genius. Well, but he came from the financial background that, that was Jeff his Coons, original. Same. Yeah. Jeff Coons, same thing. You know, their, their minds and, and their philosophies on the creation of their work in the beginning was financial. And so they end up being the, you know, some of the most successful people. And, and many of us, like I went to art school and nobody taught me anything about business, law, finances, contracts, nothing. I learned none of it. And then I was dropped into the art world and they're like, go be an artist. And I believe that the academic industry has fallen into a, a, a cycle where they don't prepare artists for actually the business the finances the 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 running of an ind the industry that is their art form they they teach them how to work with paint they teach them how to sculpt they teach them how to make a photograph or a video whatever medium you work in but they don't actually prepare you for the realities that but you're I think gonna quite be often faced it, with yeah but quite often it's just a pure contradiction because the artist uh, does not have that ability they can teach you in school what you should do but that does not mean that you're going to be able to do that or be willing to do or be it. be willing yeah one or the other it's the same thing in psychology i used to think i remember i used to think that when i realize what my problem is that it will go away it does <laughs> not go away no, absolutely not it does not go away so recognizing the problem does not solve the problem and sometimes this is uh, insurmountable or uh, an artist from his nature, I think, uh, is not a businessman. Uh, those people are an exception. Damien Hirst is an exception, I think. Of course, way, way back, for me, uh, Dali was the same type of... Uh, he was a genius at selling himself. Of course, he also knew how to paint. Yeah. And he also contributed, let's say, another take, another view on... But he was a genius at self well, self Andy Warhol also. I mean, Andy Warhol. Uh, but it, it, it seems like there's like a different, you know, some people say mindset. Some people say like the left side or the right side, the brain, the creative side, the, the logical side kind of thing. I feel like whatever that skill is or that ability is to do to do those financial stuff, like I just, while I can learn it and I can understand it, I don't feel like it's something that's in my nature. Like, it's just not the way I think about things. Like, yeah, that's I, the problem. I mean, I was raised with my, my, my family. It was very much a, a community group. My father's a, a reverend, a minister. I don't know what people listen to, you know, priest. Um, and 
and it, it was all about building community and, and being part of a community and, and helping and supporting and this kind of stuff. And, and that's and that lifestyle, that idea is not about that's right. personal gain and personal financial success and things like that. I mean, maybe it comes because you are supportive of that. But I come from the background where you support the community, the community, and you're part of that community. And therefore, everybody gets supported a little bit more. But that's not really true because I mean, it's still business in the end. I think it is business. I remember I have few recollections. I remember Julian Schnabel, that's a very, very, yeah. very famous artist. Well, he's from Texas and he spent some time in Houston before he went to New York. And uh, I knew some people who, who knew him. In fact, uh, the, the director of the Museum of Fine Arts. And this is probably no secret, so I don't think I'm... Um, it turned out that Julian Schnabel was calling him three times a week for six months to give him a show at the at the at the fine art museum and finally he gave in and he uh, he gave him the show and that was the beginning of his career now are you able to call the director of the museum three times a week for six months these days no no <laughs> Now, I'm back in you know a certain time period, that director may have actually picked up the phone. <laughs> yeah. but, but these days, I mean, between assistants and, and secretaries, whatever, executive assistants, you know, emails, filters, caller ID, like that would be literally impossible, technically yeah. impossible. But you, the fact is that he was so diligent, so um, pushy in a way, and it gave him the result. Had he not done that, probably... Probably, well, who knows what would have happened with his career, but that was the beginning, an important one. All right, so let's try and start to wrap this up. I generally end my podcast with two questions that I ask every uh, person that's willing to sit with me. Um, the first one is, is the definition of success. So first of all, sort of defining the idea of what is success in the arts world to you, whether that means being in the annals of art history, whether it means having an institutional solo show or is it financial stability? So some sort of definition of what mm. success means to you. And then uh, some ideas of uh, ways to either achieve it or mm. some failures you had that somehow maybe were a stumbling mm. block to achieving mm. something like that. So that's the, sort of the idea. So, mm. Okay, for me, quite, uh, quite simply, yes, success would be the fact that people would call me uh, to exhibit my work, obviously, uh, museums as well. That, I suppose, uh, implies the fact that I have or am contributing something. Now, I certainly do not have ambitions, and that is quite true. I don't have ambitions to be part of... Uh, uh, history books but yes uh, for my own personal satisfaction I think success is uh, being part of the uh, art world where you exhibit on a regular basis but doesn't mean that I'm going to be looking for exhibitions but they call me the exhibitions are on the highest level and uh, therefore uh, that work generates interest outside and beyond my scope of uh, influence. It has to be absolutely independent from me. My work has to work by itself. And do you, do you have any sort of uh, know, words of advice, sage advice for you know, uh, ways to achieve that? Well, 
yes, I have an opinion. I don't know wow. if it's an advice, no, but it's, it's, uh, it's I do believe in um, judgment in a way or selection. I am not sure that everything has to be considered art and it has to be good art. So I would begin there. I know there are different categories and different uh, likes, but it has to have that it has to have the quality good enough quality that's the beginning and then as we said before if you believe in what you do i would have to advise everyone to uh, master up the uh, energy or the the courage and uh, promote it do something for it to get it out there because uh, it's probably not going to happen by itself sure i mean art sitting in a studio is is just something you made for yourself. It's not something that uh, you're ma making a career out of. You actually have to put the hustle in and get so, it out there. So that's exactly what it is. Combine the in inner, interior, that's your studio, that's you where you work, with the outer world, get it out there any way you can. Which then actually leads to my final question that I ask everybody. Part of the podcast is I try to, I, I've put a quantifiable uh, thing. So the idea of this is that I talk to many different people, you know, and, and get different impressions and perspectives on how the art industry functions. Mm -hmm. And the hope is, is that I can learn enough that, to understand how the art industry functions, that I could get a piece of my artwork exhibited in the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Mm -hmm. What step would you recommend that I take in order to try to achieve that goal? That goal can be achieved only by a long-term process, which begins where you begin. And then you can only be fortunate enough to have something inside you that will make your work interesting for the rest of the world. Otherwise, you're never... And the people who will be instrumental in getting it out there. Otherwise, there's no other way. There is no other way. Okay, so strong artwork from me, but then I have to get it in front of the right people. But this is a long, this is a lifelong process. It's, right, it's, which, which is a great thing for people to hear because, I mean, in this day and age of websites, social media, and all these things, pe young artists in particular are thinking that the career path is very much stardom and then maintain stardom throughout your life. And it's the arts industry is really... Primarily and on the whole, not really that way. It's a, a slow build. I mean, traditionally, like when we were growing up, you're a little older than me, but but when we were growing up, a, a retrospective at a museum is something that somebody earned mm -hmm. after when they're seventy mm -hmm. or sixty or eighty. Uh, it, it's not something that people get simply because they have a lot of followers on Instagram or whatever else kind of social media kind of thing. But it, it's, it's, a, it's a level of respect that's earned over a career, a length of a career. Makes sense. The, there obviously are other uh, aspects that influence all this. And one is the way that uh, our society looks upon youth and the middle age and, and, and uh, older age. Unfortunately, uh, certain age categories have a much harder time convincing, let's say, the, the market that they uh, should be a part of it. Whereas youth has uh, 
green light just about uh, and and i guess it should be that way and the youth should take advantage of that well i could yeah i could probably uh, redefine some of that but uh, this is when i say that it's a long-term process i think this is something that an artist has to start working on from the very beginning and only hope that he has the potential to to grow and to make good art because i do believe i still believe that there is good art and let's say mediocre art there's a difference great thank you very much for your time thank you it's my pleasure